For me, relaxing usually has to do with me taking the posture of being in bed. I don't know about you guys, but the lower I can get in a chair, like the more relaxed I feel. And that that kind of goes against what my mom used to tell me when I was growing up, which maybe your parents told you, which was sit up straight. Remember that? Sit up straight. Let's do that right now. I'm going to encourage you. Sit up straight. See if you can hit that 90 degree angle in your chair right now. How does that, how does that feel? For, for, for some of you, it's like, that feels pretty, pretty good. Uh, for a lot of us, it's like, that does not feel natural for us, right? So go ahead and get comfortable again. But, uh, you know, when we think about the posture we're supposed to have, uh, we think about how we sit in a chair. When I walk around, I think about my posture sometimes because my natural walking around body is, doesn't have the best posture. I know this about myself. When I, when, if I do it the way I'm supposed to, you know, with your shoulders back and your back straight, and you walk around like this, suddenly feel, I feel a little bit prideful. Uh, I, I feel a little bit like I'm flexing, you know, like you all better just step back a little bit because I'm coming through and I need a little more room. It just doesn't feel natural to me if I like relax a bit and this feels humble. This feels Jesus-y to me, you know, like this is the way I feel a little more comfortable in myself with my, but our, our posture matters. How we carry ourselves, how we stand around with people, our posture matters. Uh, think about when you're talking to someone, the posture they take as you're interacting with them. If you're talking to someone and you're sharing some things that are going on in your life, maybe some challenges that you're facing, and you start to feel that emotion coming up and you know you're not hiding the emotion very well, it's starting to come out. And if they're standing there talking to you and they take this posture, if they, as the emotion comes out, if they do this, what, is, what does that tell you about this moment? You know, maybe they're not ready to meet you in the emotion that you're, maybe they're not ready to engage with you at the depth that you're hoping for. It's not that it's necessarily wrong, it just means they're not with you in this moment, and maybe you're going to change the topic or kind of shift what you're saying. But let's say the same story, you're, you're telling, you're talking, you feel the emotion coming, and the person you're talking to, instead of doing that, they do this. <laughs> when if they do that? Could be awkward, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> If they do that, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm, I'm with you. I'm ready to listen. I'm, 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 I'm not afraid. Like, I'm a safe, it, it implies I'm a safe person. Let's talk some more. Our posture matters. The way we stand, the way we interact with people, it matters. The posture we take. We're going to take the next few weeks and talk about a topic that is uh, personal and yet communal. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say about something that is very private And yet it's something public. It's something that we all engage with, we all experience, and yet we don't talk all that much about it, especially in a a church setting. We're going to talk about sexuality and gender and faith. We're going to talk about marriage and uh, singleness and the LGBTQ community. And we're going to talk about what does the Bible say to us about our sexuality. This includes everyone in this room, everyone who's watching online right now. It includes many of those that we care about and love about. This is not an us versus them conversation. This is about all of us, everyone included. And and all of us are invited to uh, join in to the conversation because here at Hillcrest, we welcome everyone. Some of you are aware of the plan that we were going to talk about this. We sent out a letter about a month ago, and some of you might even be here because you knew it was coming. Uh, others of you maybe weren't aware we we're going to talk about sexuality, and now you're looking for an escape plan. <laughs> you know, how do, I, how do I get out of the room? Uh, but what, what's the posture that you're taking as we move into these weeks together? What is the way that you're feeling about it? How are you engaging? 
Let me just talk about some of the ways you might be feeling. What's your posture? Are you anxious? Are you asking, you know, will Nate say stuff I agree with? Will he make me feel good? Will, will this be comfortable for me? You might be asking that question. That might be the posture you're taking about being anxious. Committed and sincere followers of Jesus land on a, a spectrum of, of belief and understanding around our sexuality. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. And, and during this series on that spectrum, I'm probably going to poke or offend everybody on that spectrum. If you find yourself over here, I'm probably going to say some things that are going to, going to push you a little bit. If you find yourself over on this side, I might say some things that are going to frustrate you and everybody in between. And it's not because I want to. It's not because I want to offend anyone. It's because the Word of God confronts us and challenges us when we approach it honestly. When we come to Scripture with open hearts, uh, we're going to hear things that's going to push us a little bit and challenge us. God loves each one of us so much so that he will not settle for anything less than perfected hearts and holy lives. And God knows that pursuing this new life together means that we are not finished growing. Each one of us needs to continue to engage and surrender and listen to the word of God and allow scripture to redirect us, the spirit to redirect us as we need to be redirected, to transform our hearts and our minds. And that kind of challenge is usually not comfortable, uh, at least not most of the time. So that might be your posture. You might be feeling a little anxious. Is your posture guarded? As we start this conversation, are you bracing for some hits? Maybe you've shared your story with others and they've responded with hurtful words or cold rejection. Some of you have shared your stories about who you're drawn towards or how you see yourselves, and then that information has been used against you. I want to be welcoming and filled with grace. Again, we try to be in a community where everyone can belong and find a connection with others. And I believe that can be true. And, and if we live that way, if we love one another, if we share life together, then we can let our guard down. We can be honest about the things that we're facing and the kinds of challenges going on in our lives. And as Paul writes in the New Testament, it's God's word that will do the work. We don't have to make anybody feel any way. We don't have to try to change people. We allow God's word to do the work. The Bible's like a sharp double-edged sword is what Paul says that cuts to our very hearts. Now, that might hurt at times, but there's a difference between hurtful words that injure and hurtful words that heal, right? We know there's a difference. That sometimes God's word is like a surgeon that cuts and takes out of us toxic things so that we can uh, move into the life that God created us to live. So there might be things that that challenge you. Even though you might be guarded, I want to invite you to open yourself up to what God might say. Before I pray, there's one more posture you might be holding on to as we begin this conversation. The posture might be, you might be ready for a fight. You're listening for just the right combination of words or just the right word to start swinging. It could be you're thinking, you know what, if Nate says that, I'm out of here. If I hear that phrase, I'm done. I want you to hear me right now, okay? I'm not perfect. I'm not the word of God. I work hard to carefully teach the way of life that Jesus talks about. I hold up scripture every Sunday as clearly as I can. I ask God to direct me, but I might miss the mark. I might stumble. So if you hear something that shuts you down or frustrates you, would you come and talk to me about it? Or would you come and talk to some of our pastoral team? All of us on the pastoral team are ready 
to engage with you one-on-one to talk more about these, these topics we're going to hit in the next several weeks. So Kim and Jason, Nate Severson, Jessica, Natalie, myself, we're all ready to talk with you more about it. So, you know, we don't want to fight. We're more interested in walking with you. And if there's something that sets you off, would you let us know? Let's talk about that. With all that said, I do want to pray for our time together in Scripture and and also want to let you know and encourage you that this morning there's other churches praying for us as well. As we begin this new year, as we've done over the last couple years, we're praying with uh, five other churches on Knoll Avenue as we start this new year together, lifting each other up and uh, praying that God will be glorified and, and grow each one of our churches as we move into this new year. So this morning, uh, Rolling Hills Presbyterian, Christ Church Anglican, Fountain City Church that meets down in Meadowbrook Park, uh, Central Korean Methodist, and Pani Vino uh, Covenant that meets here in this building, all those churches are praying for us this morning that we might be unified, that we might hear from God, that we might move into this new year together. And over the next few weeks, we'll be praying for those churches because we're part of something bigger than just Hillcrest. We're part of the kingdom of God. So let's invite God to speak to us this morning. Will you, will you pray with me? Let's, let's talk to God. Father God, we thank you for these moments together in Scripture. We thank you for how you created us and put us together. We've sung this morning about our identity and how we see ourselves and how we want you to inform our identities. And so we pray that you would open our hearts to what you want to say today. Keep us close by your side. Allow us to to hear from you. And Father, would you help us be willing to be challenged, to be pushed in new ways, to to actually change maybe what we think about things as your Spirit guides us and leads us. We invite you to speak, Holy Spirit, because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So our, our posture matters. How we relate to others, how we interact with others, how we listen to others, it matters to our Creator, and it matters to those that we're in relationship with. We're created for relationship. We're put together for connection and intimacy. At our inner core, at our very hearts, we have a desire to be known by others and, and to be valued by others. And, and our relationship with God is certainly connected to that idea of being known, but it's not sufficient in itself. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam walking with his creator God in a perfect relationship. There is nothing interfering in Adam's relationship with God. And yet, as they walked together, God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for him to be alone. He walked perfectly with God, and and yet, it was not what was needed. There was something missing. God said, Adam needs someone that is different than I am and different from who he is. And this is still true for us. We need each other. We need community. We need to be known. We call this intimacy, this idea of intimate relationships where we rely on each other and we trust each other. Uh, we, we walk with each other no matter what, and this is so important for us in the life that we were created to live, that we share life with others. Another thing that's true about us is that we're all broken in how we seek that intimacy and how we share that in- intimacy. We struggle to care for others the way we really want to. We want to accept others, but then they start to frustrate us or confuse us, and we turn away. We want to love our family with our whole hearts, and then someone in our family makes a decision that we don't agree with, and we have a hard time dealing with them. We want to show our true selves and be honest and open about what's going on inside of our lives, but we get afraid that we won't be accepted. 
So we close ourselves down. We want to be faithful and focused on our one person, but we miss the mark. We, we all have this in common, this need for intimacy, for close relationships, and then a brokenness in how we go after them. And Jesus knows all about this. He came to save us from our broken lives, from the rebellion of our hearts, what the Bible calls sin. All the ways that we miss the mark, all the ways that we walk from the life, away from the life that God created us to live. And Jesus came to save us and not to condemn us. Jesus didn't come to send anyone to hell. He walked the earth so that we might find life. We were created for, for life. And sin leads us towards death. And Jesus came to save us from that path of death and invite us to walk on the path of life where we experience hope and joy and peace. And this is why Jesus calls himself the light of the world. It's why he said he was like a physician coming to heal the sick. It's why he said, I'm like a good shepherd that goes looking for sheep that are lost in the wilderness. It's why he said, I'm the savior of your souls. And those of us who call ourselves Christians, we say we want to follow Jesus and we want to be like Jesus. So what was the posture Jesus took with others as he walked the earth 2,000 years ago? What did it look like when he interacted with other people, especially those who were labeled or categorized as socially unacceptable in the first century, Israel? What was his posture towards them? Let's look at a couple places in the Bible. Luke 15 Verses 1 and 2, it says these words as we're looking at the story of Jesus. It says, One day, when many tax collectors and other outcasts came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Jesus welcomes those and eats with those that the religious elite saw as outcasts. The spiritually astute grumbled while those who were religiously unacceptable were drawn to Jesus to hear what he had to say. I, I have a hard time figuring out how to describe Jesus' posture towards these people that were placed in a different category from the religious leaders. But whatever Jesus was doing, those that had been pushed out of the synagogue were drawn toward him, wanted to be close to him, wanted to hear from him. Earlier in Luke, Jesus is called a friend of tax collectors and sinners, a friend. His posture welcomed them and invited them in. They didn't avoid Jesus. They were drawn towards him. When they were walking down the road, if they saw Jesus walking towards them, they didn't take a side alley to get out of the way. They stopped and they looked and they came close to him. They wanted to hear from him. They ate at the table together. They sat down and shared a table with him. Now, in the first century, that was a big deal. It meant that when Jesus sat down with them, that he was identifying with them. These were his people. He saw them as friend, as someone he wanted to be with. And, you, and you know, we kind of have the idea today. If you went out to dinner with someone at a restaurant, a group of people, and they started getting rowdy, and they were rude, and they started throwing things, you would probably push away from the table and maybe get away from, you know, I don't want to be associated with what's happening over there. Same kind of an idea in the first century. Jesus sat at the table with these who were the outcasts. There was an in-depth study done about 10 years ago. Uh, thousands of people interviewed a high-level type survey in our nation here, and it was written up in a book called Unchristian. And this is one of the things they found in that study. This is just a statistic from that study. 91% of people outside the church perceive Christianity as primarily anti-gay. 91%. That's not a little. 
That's most, that is overwhelming percentage of people who stand outside of the church and look at how Christians interact and their posture towards people who identify as gay. And what, this was 10 years ago, what they found is 91% of those who look at us say, well, those people are anti-gay. They are against people. They are opposed to human beings. We're going to talk some more about this next week, but my point today is that Jesus was never known as anti-tax collector. He was not known as anti-sinner. Even though Jesus taught a high standard of morality, even though he rejected sin, Jesus embraced holiness and he called people to a surrender before their God. But the posture he took with that truth created an environment where they wanted to be close to him. They were drawn toward him. He welcomed them, those who were hungry for intimacy and community. Even though they'd been kicked out of religious circles, they were drawn towards Jesus. The vast majority of those who look at the American church and how we talk about and treat those in the sexual minority, they've decided that we are against them, that we are enemies who seek to attack them. They've decided what we offer is not love and life, but what we offer is harm and hate that we are anti-gay. Now, I'm sure we could get into, like, let's dig into that some more, and you could probably wrestle with me a little bit about, well, Nate, you know, come on, there's reasons, and we could get into that. But at the end of the day, this is the posture that they see we have towards others. This is a posture problem, and it has a posture solution. This was 10 years ago. Do you think it's gotten any better in the last decade? Our vision here at the church is to welcome everyone. Well, we can't welcome people when they think we're against them, when they see us as anti-anything. There's another passage in Luke before chapter 15, back in chapter 7. Here's what Luke writes. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if this Jesus were really a prophet, he would know who this woman is who is touching him, and he would know what kind of sinful life she lives. She was the wrong kind of person, and Jesus should have known better. The fact that she went to this house, the house of a Pharisee, those that she knew hated her, she went to that house because Jesus was there. That says everything we need to know about Jesus' posture towards those who are on the outside. She went into that house and she washed Jesus' feet, this act of intimacy, this act of love, because of his posture towards her, how, she, how he had spoken to her, how he had treated her in the past, drew her in, and she wanted to know more. The religious leaders of Jesus' day labeled this woman, and Jesus loved her. He didn't label her. He loved her. Why did this woman fall at his feet and experience new life? Because of the posture Jesus took towards those outside the majority, those in the minority that were excluded, that were outcasts. I'm asking God to change my posture towards people who identify differently than I do, especially when I don't understand or when I feel uncomfortable about the way they identify. And God's brought me into connection and relationship with many different people in my life. I just want to share a few of those stories because one of, the one of the first steps to improving our posture towards people is to listen to their story, is to sit and ask questions. 
and appreciate what they've been through and try to understand what they're going through. Like Jason said last week, every person has a name, every name has a story, and every, every story matters to God. You will not lock eyes with anyone today or this week who's not created in the image of God and that God does not love and value deeply. And your posture towards them should reveal that they are loved and valued by God. One of the first things we can do to improve our posture is to listen to people's stories. We've talked about that last fall. So let me tell you about Kristen. Kristen was a member of the church that I was a part of in Colorado. And uh, when I first met Kristen, uh, she was Chris. Chris was 50 years old. And when, uh, when she was born, she was born with both male and female sex organs. Now, I don't talk very often about what's going on for people and their, their organs, uh, but, but Chris told me her story and wanted me to share that story with others. Wasn't afraid to talk to people because she wanted others to know that they were not alone. So when Chris was born, her parents decided that they would raise her as a man, as a, as, as a male. And both sets of organs and said, well, I think more, more male than female. And her whole life, she felt like that was the wrong choice. Inside was an internal battle, her whole life about this. And so finally at 50, she said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify as a woman. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to start calling me Kristen. And would you say she and her? And, and so as a church community, we began to listen to her story and walk with her. What should our posture be? What should my posture be towards Kristen as she seeks to follow Jesus and walk in faith with him? How about Doug? Doug was one of my best friends in college. Grew up in a Christian home. We went to a Christian college together. He was a groomsman at my wedding. And Doug was attracted to men, not to women. And we often would talk about that in college as friends, and we would pray about it. And, you know, he wanted to live a life with, with Jesus. He wanted to follow God and honor him with his life. He was a man of faith. After college, he began a relationship with another gay man, and they began life together. What should my posture be towards Doug? We continued to have lunch together even after college, and then tragically, he was killed in a car accident a couple years later. And so, obviously, I don't have a relationship with Doug today, but what, was, what should my posture have been towards him? Think about Heather. What about Heather? Heather is actually not her name, but I met Heather about a year ago. And she grew, grew up going to church and realized at a very early age that she was different from other girls. While all her friends were talking about the cute boys at school, she didn't even notice them. She didn't care. The older she got, the more she realized that she was drawn towards other women. And she told her family about being gay and talked to them about it. And somehow that word got back to her pastor. And he called her aside one Sunday and said, you're no longer welcome here. I don't want to see you here any longer if that's the way you're going to see yourself. And she was escorted out of her church. How would you treat Heather if you met her here at this church, at our church? What should our posture be towards her? Last one I want to talk about is August. I know August the best of all these stories because August is my kid. When August was born, uh, his name was Avery. And he was my middle kid, creative, high energy, filled with compassion for everyone. Anyone who would come over and play with Avery there, that would find a, a welcoming environment. She was just great with everybody. And then a few years ago, I, I got an email from Avery, and here's what was written. Dad... For years, I've struggled with how to explain to you how I'm feeling. I've felt out of place in my body for a long time. I've pushed down and I've tried my best to suppress it as much as possible. I used to force myself to wear dresses and act feminine, 
but it always made me feel so uncomfortable and upset. This caused a lot of issues with my mental health and my self-worth. I've prayed about this, and I finally accept who I am. I am transgender, and in accepting this, I finally found some peace in my life. Avery, my daughter, was becoming August, my son. We met a few uh, days later for lunch, and we talked more about it. A few months later, Avery said, would you start calling me August, and would you change the pronouns you use and you refer to me? What should my posture be towards August? How should I interact with him over the rest of our life together as he walks as my kid and I'm his dad? What should my posture be? All of these individuals are deeply loved by their creator, made in his image. Each one has a story and value in God's eyes. How would you imagine Jesus would interact with them? How would his posture be towards them? Jesus didn't minimize the truth, and he always started with love, at least with those outside the religious community. He started with listening and accepting and being with each person. What does it look like for us to follow his example? So we go to Scripture again and look into the New Testament further into the letters of Paul. Paul writes in Romans about uh, a lot of things. In Romans chapter 1, he starts by talking about the sin that separates us from God. He talks about the, the things we choose to do and believe that push us away from our Creator. He says, you know, that we know the way of life, we know how God would have us live, and yet we choose to live in a different way. And it separates us from the most, one of the most important relationships in our lives. And then in chapter 2, Paul continues to write, he says these words. He says, if you judge someone else, you have no excuse for it. When you judge another person, you are judging yourself. You do the same things you blame others for doing. We know that when God judges those who do evil things, he judges fairly. Though you are only a human being, you judge others. But you yourselves do the same things. So how do you think you will escape when God judges you? Do you make fun of God's great kindness and favor? Do you make fun of God when he is patient with you? Don't you realize that God's kindness is meant to turn you away from your sins? It seems pretty clear to me what Paul is saying here, that we should not stand in judgment over anyone, that it's not our job to condemn others. It's also very clear that God will judge that he will examine our lives, that he will measure what we do. God creates us for life, and he invites us to walk in the way of life. And his invitation is written in his kindness and in his favor. It's penned in his incredible, perfect, unconditional love for each one of us. His goal is not to force you into some kind of box or manipulate you into a religious cookie cutter. His desire is for us to live the life he created us to live for each one of us our unique and inspired contribution to the kingdom of God. And this desire for us is captured in the posture we see Jesus living out in the New Testament. Jesus is patient and he's kind and he's loving as he engages with, with each person outside the majority culture of the first century. And Jesus challenges each one of them with the truth that they were created to live into. So in a few weeks, we're hosting a weekend conference here that we're calling the same name as this series, a weekend we're calling Posture. And we've invited an author and a scholar named Greg Coles to join us. He's on the team at the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, which is a collaboration of pastors and theologians who are hoping to, to give biblical-based answers and practical guidance on the, 
the questions that we ask around sexuality and gender. And our denomination has partnered with this center to create uh, resources for churches as they have these conversations around biblical sexual ethics. And so I want to encourage you to join us for this weekend on February 3rd and 4th. It's a Saturday afternoon and a Sunday afternoon uh, because we're limited in how deep we can get into this conversation on a Sunday morning. And we wanted to create more time and more space for us to ask questions and to think and to read scripture and to pray together. And so Greg will be with us. I want to encourage you to join us. You can use the QR code here to register or right on the front page of our website, hillcrestcub.org. You can register and let us know you're going to be with us. One of the things Greg writes about, he's, he's written a few books. One of the things he's written is this. We have more grace for people who sin like us. We have more grace for people who sin like us. This is is a statement about posture. We, you and I, we tend to have less patience and less love and less understanding for people who sin differently than we do. If their sin doesn't make sense to us, it seems to have a different kind of weight and consequence to it, at least in our minds. And through this series, I hope that we can work on our, our posture and learn from Jesus We want to start with love and welcome, just as Jesus did, and continue to talk about the way of life, what is true and good. We're not going to gloss over the truth. There certainly is a way that leads to death, and there is a way that leads to life. We all know the way of death because we've all walked it. I've walked it. You've walked it. Those things we do on our own power because we think it's smart, and we realize that what we're heading for is is separation and brokenness and, and pain and death. My prayer is that each one of us will want to experience the full life that Jesus created us for. The leaders of this church have talked about what we want to see come out of this series, and I want to finish up just by giving you a few ideas of the things that we've talked about, some of the outcomes that we would love to see happen. The staff team, our governance board, small group leaders, other teachers, we've gathered together and said, what what do we want to see come out of this? And there's four kind of outcomes we're hoping for. These are the outcomes. We want to, we want to live out our vision. We want to live out this idea of following Jesus, welcoming everyone, and loving all. We want to have an environment here at our church where every person sees that they are valued. As we're pursuing a new kind of life together, we want to look to Jesus, and we want to experience that life with one another, a place where all are welcome. So we want to learn how to live out our vision. The second outcome we're looking for is we want to grow in our knowledge of God's Word. We want to know what Scripture has to say to us. God speaks about truth and grace in the Bible. He made us as sexual beings. He has something to say about how we engage in our understanding of attraction and gender and intimacy. And so we want to see what Scripture has to say to us. A third outcome, we want to understand what is happening in our culture. God has something to say about our our real lives and about our real experiences in this world. And next week, we're going to talk about some terminology. What does LGBTQ stand for and what does it mean? And talk about how over the past three decades, the church has, has done a lot of harm to those in the sexual minority. And how can we move in a new way? And finally, the last outcome we're looking for, we want to clarify what Hillcrest believes about human sexuality. We believe that the Bible speaks truth and informs how we see ourselves and informs our, our identity. We, we believe that God created us for life and invites us to walk with him. And the ability to walk with God doesn't start by me looking inside saying, what do I think about who I am? What do I think about my, how do I identify myself? That's not where it starts. It starts with me opening my hands to God and saying, Father, you created me. How do you want me to see myself? What is my identity? We go to God and we ask him to inform 
how we see ourselves. And we surrender to him. This, is, this can look pretty radical in our current culture. And I want you to remember that this is a conversation. It's going to go on for a few weeks. I want to invite you to continue to be here. These next six weeks together, next five weeks together, be here. Continue to have this conversation. If you miss a week, watch online. It's going to, you're going to miss important things as we're talking about this together. Please keep praying for me and with me as we go through this time together. And, and remember that for many of us, this is more than just a talk on a Sunday morning. This is our life. This is our love. There are families in this room watching online right now who are facing real struggles and challenges because of these topics and the things that we're going through. So let's be compassionate and kind and gentle with each other as we walk through this series together. And let's continue to look for hope in the midst of it, to believe that God is bringing new hope to us. I want to close by praying with you, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and they're going to close us with a simple song after we pray together, and then, then I'll send you out. Uh, but just remember, that invitation is open to you. If you want to talk some more, if you want to get together one-on-one, please let me know. Let our staff team know, our pastoral team. We, we want to continue to talk about this with you. So let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that you speak through Scripture, that you give us clarity and truth, that we are not uh, stuck wondering how you would have us live and what you would have us do. You have revealed yourself to us through Jesus, through the words of Scripture, through your community. So we pray that you would help us as we move through this series together. Father, some of the things we'll have to talk about will be difficult and challenging. We pray that you would open our hearts and our hands towards you. We pray that you would allow us to accept where each person is in their story and that we would be willing to walk with them even if we're not agreeing, that we would be willing to walk with them as we pursue new life in Jesus. Help us, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you for creating us for life. We look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. Let's, let's sing together. I want to invite our prayer volunteers up at this time. Every Sunday after church, there's volunteers up front to pray with you and encourage you. If there's something going on in your world today that you'd love someone to pray with you about, we want to support you in that. And uh, It's great to come forward and, and bring awesome prayer requests and praises, good things that are happening, challenges that you're facing. We want to be with you in them. So please come up and let us pray with you today. As you go, know that you are loved and valuable to God. And he sees you, he knows what you're going through, and he is with you. There's nothing you could do to separate you from the love of God. So go and be light in this world. Bring, bring hope to the hopeless. And we'll see you next Sunday. Go with God.